0: Outliers in Education is brought to you by CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Better data, better decisions, better schools. To find out more, visit effectiveness.org. The COVID pandemic drove a
1: lot of educators online, but some educators were already there. As it turns out, there's a lot of equity to be had through online education. We'll talk about how in this episode of Outliers in Education. That's what
0: we're all about, in letting our kids be successful. If you want to achieve something, then surround yourself with the people you want to become. Because kids are kids in small districts, rural districts, urban.
1: Kids are kids. Welcome back, everyone, to another brand spanking new episode of Outliers in Education, the podcast where we talk with educators operating at the top of the field and steal from them. We steal their best ideas, their moments of enlightenment, their top tactics, and their secret strategies. And then we share them with you in the hope that one day these outliers, their knowledge, and their behaviors will simply become the new normal in education. And here with me, the friar tuck to my educational Robin Hood, is my good friend, Mr. Eric Bowles from the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Bowles, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing great today, EP, and thank you for asking. I feel a little bit like I've been dropped into Sherwood Forest with a bad haircut. <laughs> and we're going to keep rolling with this Robin Hood analogy. It's important to point out that our quote unquote victims fully approve of our thievery. <laughs>
1: and today is no different. We are both pleased and humbled to have with us Dr. Tanya Drake. She is the Regional Vice President Northwest and Chancellor at Western Governors University, Washington. They are pioneers in online education, founded in 1997, accredited online nonprofit university. They're innovators in competency-based learning. Welcome, Dr. Drake.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor and privilege. I'm not quite sure where I fit in the whole Robin Hood thing, but if you could squeeze in a chancellor somewhere, that'd be great.
1: (laughs) Well, we're going to ask you more about that later. But kind of more generally, as kind of a baseline, uh, tell us a little bit about WGU Washington.
3: Absolutely. So WGU Washington, which really means we've had a relationship with the state of Washington for the last 10 years, Although WGU has been in existence for about 25 years. And when we came to Washington, we had about a little less than a thousand students already taking classes from us. And in about 10 years, we're up to 13, almost 14,000 students making us the state's largest private nonprofit.
2: Wow. That's amazing. So one of the things that we want to do as we go forward is really focus on the theme of equity. And there's obviously lots to talk about both inside of the K-12 system uh, and in higher education in general. Um, So when we think of equity, one of the things that uh, I wonder about is uh, everywhere we look on your website, it says student obsessed. So can you uh, espouse on that? Tell us a little bit about what that means from your perspective.
3: I'd be happy to. So we have leadership principles, and as I was going through the process of being hired at WGU, I did review those, and that's the one that caught my eye also. Um, I have always been drawn to institutions that really share my value and my mission um, and purpose in life, and WGU um, uses the word student obsession, whereas other institutions may say student-centered or um, student-focused. I genuinely believe that WGU is so student-obsessed. We make our decisions based on students. We hire based on these leadership principles. Um, and everything we do is really not just to bring students into the institution, but to ensure that they graduate. Um, we often talk about one of the worst mistakes we could do is bring somebody into higher education and not have them complete a degree um, and and move on to really do what they want to do in life. Um, And so we are definitely, um, I will say student obsessed in just about every way. Um, One of the things I love about uh, listening to our students is the stories they tell about their student um, faculty mentors. So every single student is assigned a faculty mentor and that person starts with them on day one and ends with them um, when they graduate. And that faculty mentor kind of serves as this um, coach mentor guide along the way. And they touch base with our students on a weekly basis to help them set goals, to do motivation, to provide that community of care so students are successful.
1: Dr. Drake, we have uh, in our outlier study, one of the big uh, maybe premises is that in that student obsession theme, is trying to look at demographics, not necessarily meaning student destiny. Um, What what do you see that WGU does with some of that uh, equity-based with that student obsession?
3: Sure. So WGU is created primarily to serve students who wouldn't otherwise go on to higher education. And so when you intentionally build a university to serve that, um, we're all kind of given the same building blocks across higher education, um, but what we do with them is very different, right? So I think about my youth and what we did with Legos or sort of the young ones now and um, Minecraft. We're all kind of given the same tools, but we may build things differently. WGU built things differently so that students would succeed, those students who wouldn't normally do that. Um, so we've built a flexible model um, that really helps students um learn individually and at their own pace. Um, we call it a competency-based education model. And what that really means is as soon su- As soon as students can establish competency or verifying knowledge that they have, they can move on to the next class. So we've unlinked time and learning, which used to be sort of a fundamental Mm. building block Mm. of education, right? You spend so much time in the classroom or so much seat time, we call it. um, We've completely unlinked that. Um, So as soon as a student can demonstrate competency, they get to move on. And some of our students take a very short amount of time because they've learned a lot along the way, right, um, during life. Um, so they have that knowledge. They just need to demonstrate it. And other students are still building blocks about knowledge bases that they don't have. So they take longer in s- some other courses. But the cool thing is that this really provides um, access to those who really need that flexibility, um, who need some affordability, um, and need the support to move forward or maybe they just don't have the flexibility because um, they're working, they have family members they that they're caring for, that um, they have a full-time career and need the flexibility in order to complete a degree. Um, so as far as providing access, um, I can't think of a better model um, to help students succeed.
2: So since 1997, in before 1997, obviously, you start with this premise. We're going to turn the higher education world upside down. We're going to go straight to competency-based. I actually started the second competency-based high school in the state of Washington back in 2002. So feel, feel a real kindred spirit here. Uh, I, I love the premise. We're also going after a market share that uh, is the underserved. Love that premise as well. And now, wow, more than 25 years later, here, here you are. Um, what have been your biggest learnings or surprises, both personally and institutionally along the way?
3: Sure, I will say some of our learnings um, is really those wraparound services for students um, and making sure that they feel supported along the way. Some of them have been out of education for quite some time um, and may be nervous about really re-entering um, an environment that maybe they weren't successful the first go around. Um, the other thing is really leveraging technology, and I will say that. Um, As a university, we started leveraging technology 25 years ago when it seemed kind of revolutionary at the time um, to think about higher education in an internet world. Um, Well, all of higher ed just pivoted two years ago, right? (laughs) Um, And some of them we saw were successful and some of them were not so successful um, at doing it. Um, But really leveraging that technology, I think, is also incredibly important. I think about some of the ways that technology has changed um, during my lifetime. I think about things like my banking. Um, And if (laughs) my bank still banked the way it did 20, 25 years ago, where I had to reconcile my bank account, or I had to go into the bank to um, do some of my business, I probably wouldn't be banking there anymore. And yet we give higher education a pass on not using and really adopting technology in ways that help individuals learn at their own pace and, and doing things differently. Um, and I think that is lessons that we've all learned, um, during this pandemic. And I think just the acceptance, um, of an online environment, um, suddenly we became very relevant. Whereas I think before the pandemic, there was still sort of something of a stigma around online learning, quite frankly. Um, and so I can tell you that (laughs) my, LinkedIn and my emails blew up. How do you guys do this? What do you think about that? The thought leadership about just everything online. And I will say now our differentiator is not just being online. It is leveraging technology in order to help students learn and succeed.
1: Well, I love that analogy with, with banking, Dr. Drake. And so what I'm thinking of, if you could make the analogy, when you take a look at you in comparison with other higher ed institutions and and doing a little bit of digging on you, I found that you have got this approval rating from people that is like heads and shoulders above most other uh, institutions. So if you're going to say the thing that really sets you apart, why, why do you get those great approval ratings in that analogy looking at what other institutions are doing compared to you?
3: Well, I think in recent history, higher education has become way more expensive, much less accessible with fewer support mechanisms and help in order to help students succeed. And we've done just the opposite. We've kept costs low and affordable. So from a student perspective, they really think about tuition and we're like $3,500 for six months or like $7,500 for the year. Um, That's like the cost of a community college, right? Um, And then they get through faster. So our students can get through in about two and a half years, years versus say the four or six year traditional graduation rates. So it's lower cost, they get through faster. And at their own pace, wow, that's like a huge differentiator for students when they think about their return on investment, they come out with significantly less debt, um, they're ready to go into their field or to get a promotion. Um, That's a huge differentiator in our students' minds.
1: And it seems like it links more with what kind of learning looks like just in regular life too.
3: Well, and shouldn't we mirror that? really
1: (laughs) we do no come on don't tell us that (laughs)
3: um well but i do i i think we need to have relevant higher education for relevant times and i think we're well past um as an industry to really adopt technology in in these ways that are going to help set up individuals to be successful um our students are not preparing for their next career they're preparing for next five or ten years as careers continue to change and evolve right
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Dr. Drake, we'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey in education. So we'll be right back with more Outliers in Education.
0: School districts across the country are turning their focus to social, emotional learning like never before. But who has the time? Now you do, thanks to the Whole Educator Series, an online SEL training that you take at your own pace. Six modules packed with proven strategies that will make a difference right away. The training was awesome. The content was amazing. This workshop is going to make you a better educator. Taught by SEL expert Dr. Greg Benner, the Whole Educator Series delivers strategies to ease the stress on you while bringing out the best in your students. These strategies, they work. You'll be amazed at the results not only with the youth you serve, but also in your own life. He's telling us strategies that we can implement tomorrow. Absolutely a home run. Professional development at the speed of life. Check out the whole educator series online SEL training. Available now from CEE at effectiveness.org workshops. That's effectiveness.org workshops.
1: we're back. This week on Outliers in Education, we have the great good fortune to be spending time with Dr. Tanya Drake, Chancellor of Western Governors University, Washington, an online nonprofit institution of higher ed. Uh, Dr. Drake, I, I, I have been a part of higher ed a long time in my I've been teaching at a, a local state uh, university here. I really don't know president, provost, dean, maybe Dean Pritchard from old school, and I don't know what a chancellor is or does. Could you help me out with what what is a chancellor? What's your function?
3: So chancellor uh, at WGU is really overseeing an area. So at WGU, we have partnerships with states. So we have an affiliate partnership with the state of Washington. So originally, I joined WGU as the chancellor for just Washington. Um, since then, we've expanded and we've regionalized, and so now I oversee nine states in the Pacific Northwest. Um, during this time, we've added additional state affiliates, so we now have WG Idaho, WGU Montana, and WG Utah. Um, I still re- have retained the chancellor title, um, but also oversee the Pacific Northwest. But ultimately, as the chancellor, um, I have traditionally been focused on um, Student access, um, student acquisition, um, building partnerships with industry. So we have fantastic partnerships with school districts, uh, with the IT fields, business, and then of course health health professions as well. Um, and then we also work with students after they've graduated. So think about that graduate success. So our alumni engagement, um, working with employers who hire our students as well. So the front end and the back end of that student life cycle is primarily the areas that I focus on. We also have teams of faculty members across the entire nation um, who work with students while they're at WGU, um, as well as full IT teams and and HR folks as well who support the institution. Those are at our headquarters um, and overseen at our national teams. So I would say I'm more of a local presence. We were established by the states for the states. And so we're honoring that by having local teams.
2: And I'm wondering if you can take us back, not all the way back to your K-12 experience as a student, but we may ask a question about that moving forward. Take us back to when you started in education. I understand we have some common roots, both starting uh, our educational careers in the Yakima Valley. Can you tell us about that, how that sort of impacted your worldview and the work you do today?
3: sure so i grew up in longview washington right along the columbia river and went to community college there and transferred to the university of washington Um, when i was graduating from the university of washington i was working in the office of minority affairs there and they received a federal grant um, and it was to work with first generation low-income students over in central washington and I jumped at the chance to have that as my first career option. So I moved to Central Washington and had the great privilege of working over with many different communities over there, including the Yakima Nation, um, Granger, Wapato, Toppenish, all, all the fantastic schools over there. But it really set my career into, uh, into a different um, trajectory than I was thinking. I was like a business major, right? Marketing and business major. But to really think about higher education as a career that I could help students like myself, um, those who were first generation, um, you know, First Nations or or Native American, was so appealing to me. Um, And so we did. We had a fantastic time over in Yakima. Um, I will say that um, I did then had an opportunity um, to move down to Arizona and I did that for about 11 years, also working um, in a lot of equity work. Um, again, first-generation, low-income students, more, I will say, inner-city youth um, down in Phoenix. Um, worked for Arizona State University and, and some cool community colleges down there. Um, but then I started a family and made my way back up to Washington. Um, and have worked for community colleges, um, universities here as well. Um, so I've really made higher education my life's mission, um, and the thing that I think appealed to me most about WGU was that it was an opportunity for me to serve my entire state um, in a way that I wouldn't be able to at just a local level. Um, so I've I've definitely had wonderful opportunities, but I've always looked for those opportunities to give back um, to my community and to broaden access because I know what it meant to my life and I know what it means to the students' lives who who do persist in in higher education.
1: So Dr. Drake, you talked about a a bit of diversity there. And so for our listeners, I'm looking behind you and I see this owl painting back there. Does that have a special story or significance to you? Um,
3: (laughs) The owl is our mascot. We have the night owl. Um, For WGU. For WGU, yes. We we do have a mascot. It is the night owl. Um, The night owl's name is Sage. Sage. And, um, you know, many of our students um, have fun connecting with that. As a matter of fact, we just celebrated our 250,000th graduate. Um, wow. She is um, in Olympia, Washington, and um, she was pregnant at the time that we honored her. And um, she decided to name the middle name of her child as sage. Um, so sage is very That's important awesome. to all of our students in our community <laughs> yes that is awesome
2: well and, and connecting uh this works so we're thinking seamless now pre-k because i'm a big proponent of birth to nine integration so we think pre-k all the way through that 16th year you've got a uh, terminal degree. Um, and want to give a shout out to some of our outlier schools. You mentioned the fantastic education in the Yakima Valley. Um, Yakima Valley really highly represented in our outlier study with schools from Yakima, Grandview, Zilla, and East Valley School District. So I want to want to give a shout out to that educational hotbed that may be overlooked by some uh, in our state. C- can you tie this together for us as far as we've really ferreted out some themes, I think, in our outlier study that are critical to ensuring that uh, children who we've traditionally seen as underserved. Um, we, we know what those themes, trends, and tendencies are inside of K-12. We know what difference we can make. Doesn't mean we always make that difference. Um, and we see a leaky pipeline between K-12 uh, and higher ed. So if you were to tie it all together, give us your thoughts.
3: Sure. So as I mentioned, I worked in that community and saw firsthand um, some of the structural and the systems issues that are contributing to those pipeline issues I will say we are celebrating 25 years and we have this logo. It's, it's, it's called a tradition of breaking traditions. And some of the things I was reading in your report and listening to from your outliers are those schools who are really bold and courageous to break traditions, break the systems for which they have been beholden and to recreate them in ways that are much more meaningful for students who have historically not been successful in K-12 or higher ed to be successful. And sometimes we have to go in and break a few things, right? Um, And put them back together in order to be successful Um, because systems are designed to do exactly what they their outcomes are intended, right? And so when we're seeing those negative outcomes, I just applaud those superintendents and teachers um, who come forward with bold ideas to really um, break the traditions um, that they they have historically been beholden to. Uh, and I think WGU is doing that also. Um, and the ways in which I think we can do a better job of, of making those connections is really um, through teacher education. You know, when universities think of the pipeline um, from K-12 to university. They tend to think of those graduates who are coming out of of high school and going on to university. Um, we actually tend to think of our connections as a workforce. We educate the teachers, right? And the more informed our teachers are around access, diversity, supporting students using technology, um, the better we're able to impact some of those systems. And our students, um, who are now teachers um, in those school districts were very well equipped um, to do some online learning because that was their experience at WGU and began to help and mentor other students. Um, So I will say that the ways in which um, I think we can best impact um, K-12 at a WGU level is to really educate the teachers um, and provide support mechanisms as they continue in their teaching journey. Um, and they begin to encourage students and quite frankly, their parents, um, to also go on to higher education.
1: Well, that strikes a chord with me, Dr. Drake. I, I teach pre-service teachers at, at Washington State University. And, uh, so, so I'm thinking a little bit about how that, how your experience, uh, might have kind of developed. So could you talk a little bit about some of your intersectionality uh, as a woman, uh, your background and, and how that influences Kind of your view your worldview as a higher ed leader
3: so growing up um i i do identify as a she her um, i do identify as first nations my father's cowichan um, from vancouver island and i did identify as a first generation college student um that said Um, It took a lot of persistence for me to complete my associates, go on to a bachelor's, and now complete a master's and PhD. Um, But I also recognize not everybody has had those support mechanisms, and we need to ensure that we surround students um, to be successful and to continue to call out any disparities that we have. Um, And they continue, and the stereotypes continue. Um, and I, I think it's important, um, to be bold and brave, um, to, to really break those down. I think about then my kids, um, who've gone through the K-12 system, they're both in high school right now. But, um, I remember one example of my son, he was in um, elementary school and they do, you know, their curriculum nights and they were going to do a whole (laughs) section on Native Americans. And I held my breath and (laughs) was going to try not to kick someone under the table, um, and they, you know, they they were still talking about stereotypes, and so I had the conversation with my son, and and um, he said, "Well, I get um, where they're going and what they're doing." He goes, "But mom, where where do the Indians they're talking about? Where do they live? The ones that are in the teepees and the ones that are riding horses, and you know, and so." Even, you know, having a modern understanding of Native Americans, um, he still thought there's sort of the, the stereotype that existed, but that perpetuates in our curriculum that we still need to correct. And that happens across the spectrum, whether you're gender, race, um and ethnicity, low income um so I think that there's still challenges that we need to address
1: Dr. Drake, thank you so much wisdom in such a short amount of time. We can't thank you enough for the things that you have experienced and that experience bringing uh, I think a system that hopefully will bring more equity in a system that is just screaming for that that um and 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 I know there are plenty of individuals out there that would say thank you so Thank you, Doctor Drake, for for uh, all that you are doing. Now we come to the part of the show where we have recap Arama bowls. Could you help us out a little bit? What what did we just learn, my man?
2: Well, I'm going to do the best I can. There was an awful lot to take away here. So, uh, my summary as usual will be, uh, insufficient, but hopefully, uh, at least m- minimally humorous. Um, <laughs> systems are designed to get the very, get the results they get. I think that's important for us to always, uh, remember. I love that being called out. I just love the theme of intersectionality in general, engineering and institution for our folks in the United States on the margin. We've got 140 million people in our country that live within two times federal poverty. There's just so much work to be done in the country that actually ha- is the most resource rich country in the world. So what I love was you're turning higher education on its ear, uh, swimming against the current of higher cost, less service, and seat time. So just, you know, gosh, we're we're on with the revolutionary today. I love the fact that the organization is student-obsessed, that you've got mentors that work with Students Weekly and coach students. It's not that advisor that we actually... I don't even know who my advisor was when I was in college, which may have said more about me than the institution, but I think that's lots of folks' uh, experience. Um, love the fact that we started with folks who might not traditionally attend. I mean, what what a beautiful beginning uh, or, or an end, you know, planning with that end in mind. Um, I hear terms like access and supports, wraparound supports became a huge tenet of what uh, I believed in in, in uh, K-12 as well. Love the fact that technology, uh, technology was already in play for you when uh, technology landed on everybody else. And uh, just the fact that you're challenging existing systems and finally changing the, the link between K-12 and higher ed, changing high quality teacher education and supporting teachers uh, in their work can literally change the world. So thank you so much for the uh, opportunity to uh Uh, be our guest today. Uh, We're humbled by the experience.
3: Great recap, Bulls. Yes. Wow.
2: Beautiful. Thank
1: you much. I'm almost tearing up. Dr. Drake, is there anything that we missed or any parting thoughts that you'd like to share with us before we go?
3: You know, I just want to thank you for all the great work that you're doing and highlighting these outliers. I think it's incredibly important. And as we emerge out of this, hopefully post-pandemic, I think we have a real opportunity to rethink education and higher education. And now is our time to be bold and courageous And to think differently and to really, I will say, do some more tinkering, break down some stuff and rebuild it.
1: Awesome. Can I get a witness? Thank you, Dr. Drake. That was fantastic. Thank you.
2: And thanks to all of you for joining us today on Outliers in Education. You can find this episode and more anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or visit us online at effectiveness.org. Until next time, this has been Outliers in
0: Education. If you'd like to find out how to gather the data you need to help drive positive change in your school or district, take a moment to visit CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness, at effectiveness.org. Better data, better decisions, better schools. Effectiveness.org.